Welcome to the e-commerce fuel podcast, the show dedicated to helping high six and seven figure entrepreneurs build amazing online companies and incredible lives. I'm your host and fellow e-commerce entrepreneur, Andrew Uderian. Hey guys, Andrew here and welcome to the e-commerce fuel podcast. Thanks so much for tuning into the show today. And on today's program, we are talking about accounting and don't leave, especially if you're an Amazon seller, because while this may not be the most riveting topic in the world, there's a good chance that it can save you a lot of money, especially if you on Amazon are really kind of ignoring the fact that you get a lump sum deposit from Amazon that contains all of your revenue, net all of your fees, and doesn't tell you anything apart from a number that you probably post to your income statement. So if that sounds like you, if you know you're not doing your accounting on Amazon as well as you should, stick around. I'm talking with Ashley Schroeder from a2xaccounting.com. He's the founder of that tool that that makes it a lot easier to understand what that number is, to break out the deposits and all the different line items in there and account for them. We talk about just the implications of, of not doing Amazon accounting correctly, how to think about doing it better with more transparency. We get into sales tax on Amazon, which is a whole can of worms. Anyway, it's hopefully it'll be insightful and if nothing else, give you the the push you need to get your Amazon accounting in order because I would venture to guess most merchants probably not doing it justice. So before we dive into that though, I want to quickly thank our two fantastic sponsors. First, Liquid Web who offers world-class web hosting for your WooCommerce store. Four reasons you should seriously think about these guys. They're who I use for not just my WooCommerce store, but but all of my uh, all of my hosting incredibly highly elastic platform. If you get hit with a massive traffic spike, you're going to stay online. But it also, of course, pairs with Woo, which you can customize to your needs. It's a rare blend. Secondly, they have a really cool suite of tools to performance test your store to make sure that when you need to be online and working well, that you're not going to run any problems if you go on Shark Tank, if you if you roll out new features, things like that. Third, they understand WooCommerce incredibly well, not only from their team, but from their tool set from automatic WooCommerce and WordPress upgrades to backups. They understand the ecosystem and their customer service is second to none. It's incredible. Phone-based, US-based customer service. They know their stuff. So you can learn more about them and check them out at ecommercefuel.com forward slash liquid web. And secondly, a big thank you to Clavio, who makes email automation easy and powerful. And they've got a very cool tool that came out recently, and that is their visual flow builder. So drag and drop, a lot of times you go in when you build these flows, you go through multiple screens, and especially if you've got, if you're creating email flows that only happen in case A or case B, they've got, you know, logic-based things, they can get really confusing to visualize. Clavio's built out a super cool drag and drop builder to make it much less complex, much less confusing. There's analytics built right in to all the different kind of sections on the on the visual flow builder so that you can see at a glance which segments of your flows are working well and which ones need work. Very cool. So if you're not on them and you're doing email marketing for e-commerce, at a minimum, check them out the free trial. You can learn more about them at ecommercefield.com forward slash Clavio. All right. Thank you, sponsors. And with that being said, let's go ahead and do a deep dive on geeking out on Amazon accounting with Ashley. So Ashley, I can't help but ask right out of the gates. Do you realize that New Zealand is the place that all these Silicon Valley tech billionaires are starting to create their end of the world compounds because New Zealand's I you know I supposedly the perfect place if if stuff hits the fan on a global scale to be able to isolate yourself and live comfortably and and away from all the pandemics and nuclear war have you heard of all this yes yeah in fact 
it's been a little controversial down here because Peter Thiel is one of those billionaires and he, under some dubious circumstances, got granted citizenship. And there's been a kind of an investigative reporter down here who's been kind of trawling through the records trying to figure it all out. And it's one of those things where, like, normally, you know, you have to live in New Zealand for years and years before you can become a citizen. And, like, Peter Thiel came down here for, I don't know, a few days or something and then managed to become a citizen. And it's sort of been a big question mark of how this happened. Yes, it's been making headlines on and off for the last probably 12 months, the story of how that all came about. Well, congrats on being set up here in a prime location, of course. You're in Auckland. And what about the e-commerce scene in New Zealand? You... You know, I, I think, I believe Australia just, Amazon just kind of opened up full tilt in Australia this last year, late 2017 or early 2018. What's the e-commerce scene look like in New Zealand? Is, is Amazon even in New Zealand? Did that, did that roll over with the Amazon launch? And is there a pretty vibrant e-commerce scene? Are there a lot of sellers selling locally? Is the market not big enough to make it sem- to make it work? Or do you have many niche sellers online? What I have no idea. I'd love to hear what kind of what stage you guys are at in the e-commerce maturity. So we don't have Amazon here and we are a relatively small market. So I think the recent launch of Amazon in Australia will impact on New Zealand. Like I'm I'm sure a lot of people will start shopping on amazon.com.au from here. The the kind of independent store scene is, again, because the the market is small, it's not huge e-commerce stores. I was for a long time kind of involved in the Magento meetup here in Auckland. And you see, you know, successful stores, but not by the, but not by the standards of a US successful e-commerce store. So I think, you know, I think just because of our market size, we're not going to ever create the, you know, the next, I don't know, like any of these really large e-commerce businesses, just simply there's not the market for it. But there is a, you know, there is a pretty good ecosystem of, of developers down here. The meetup was always, you know, pretty, pretty well attended by developers, agencies, store owners. So yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be interesting over the next couple of years to see how the introduction of Amazon in the region changes things. But at this stage, you know, it's mostly smaller stores selling locally. Very cool. So let's let's move a little bit into Amazon, Amazon accounting. Of course, that's kind of one of your areas of expertise with with A2X. You really understand that world and and I, I have to make a disclaimer out of the gates. I'm not an Amazon power seller by any means. I have an Amazon account. I sell on Amazon, but it's it's a relatively small amount of product. But with, with my experience, my kind of Amazon experience, I probably, hopefully I would be a little more sophisticated maybe if I was selling more. But I think this is maybe something, uh, an experience that even medium to even some large sellers have is I see money come in from, from Amazon and get a deposit in my bank account and I have no idea what it's for. It's kind of like a black box, you know. Is that is that the reason you guys started A2X? And if so, like, can you give give us a sense of maybe by default without going in and customizing things, how Amazon treats deposits and accounting just at a high level? Yeah, yeah. So pretty much that is exactly why we exist. So that black box, that kind of unknown payment is is what a lot of sellers really struggle with. And so we kind of unpack all of the transactions that go into that payment and figure out what they all are and when they happened. And then we send that into your accounting system in a way that lets you kind of track all of the different, you know, sales and revenue, expenses, fees, everything that kind of goes in there. So pre-A2X, or typically pre-having an accountant involved, a lot of sellers do do really struggle with that. I mean, you can do the you can do the kind of number crunching yourself in a spreadsheet, but it's pretty painful kind of horrible Excel, you know, pivoting and 
mucking around in spreadsheets really and you have to do it for every time they pay you which you know can be every two weeks so if you're doing several channels you know it can be a dozen times a month that you're having to do this you know really quite horrible manual process but I you know to answer your question I, I think a lot of sellers are in that exact position where they don't necessarily know exactly how much Amazon is charging them or how much their sales are or their margins or anything they're really just getting a a net payout and you know, calling it profit and putting it in the in the bank. So that's yeah, that's sort of one of the big things that A2X helps solve is figuring out how much you're actually making on Amazon and you know, how much they're charging you in fees and those various other things so that you can kind of track it more closely. Is there anything that Amazon does not? So you think about Amazon, there's so many things you could have, you know, FBA storage fees, long-term storage fees, of course, the commission you pay to the sales commission, FBA shipping costs, you've got maybe, you know, return credits, maybe you have, you know, all these different things, your, your advertising that you get charged for, or that you're running on Amazon. Does is, is the default for Amazon to just give one, one deposit per, you know, every two week period and include everything in that one deposit? If, is that their default? And if it is, can you go in and, and how much ability do they give you to break that into multiple deposits? For example, I know that like in my Amazon uh, advertising console, there is the ability to be able to charge my advertising fees to a credit card versus net them out of my revenue, which makes my accounting easier. And so that's just one thing, but is, is everything by default lumped into one and how much can you go in and change the configuration to be able to hopefully give you a little bit more transparency with the deposits and charges that they that they do? Yeah, that um, the advertising one is the only one I know of where you get to choose that you know you can choose to not have it go into your settlement and have it on a credit card. So in general, the default is definitely two weeks, everything lumped into one, including like if, I don't know if you've ever used uh, Amazon Capital, like their lending services, but all of that comes in through settlements as well. So. I mean, that's another huge source of confusion is if you draw a loan down on Amazon then your settlement for that period looks amazing because you suddenly get this big lump sum of cash, but it's not profit, obviously, right? It's a loan. And so, it, yeah, it's another example where it's really important to kind of understand what the numbers are. But yeah, certainly the default is every two weeks, everything lumped together. And the option around advertising is relatively new, like being able to include that in the settlement. Uh, I think sometime last year they introduced that. I always actually, can I ask you, do you do the include in settlement or pay on credit card? In terms of the the advertising I do on Amazon? Yeah. Yeah, I usually right now I do it on a credit card just primarily so that I have a, a clear picture of of the expenses and I can put them on the right line items on my P&L. But I mean, also because it's nice to get some of those miles, but mostly because just the transparency on the accounting. Yeah, that's kind of, so I think that's the right way to do it because they don't charge you more for the advertising. So you, you basically just get free emails. And you know sometimes that can be five or six figures, right? Like you could be getting a lot of either cashback rewards or email rewards, whatever your credit card gives you, but you get longer to pay for it and you get rewards. It seems like a no-brainer to me to put it through a credit card. So I'm always a little bit confused why people would have it come out of their settlement instead where they're having to pay for it every two weeks instead of the next month. I didn't even know it was an option until I happened to stumble across it and said, wow, I feel like an idiot. I should have done this months ago. <laughs> yeah. But So whenever I encounter a seller, I'm like, are you sure you want to be doing this out of your settlement deposit? Like you could be, you could be racking up some serious emails, go to Bahamas or something once a year. Yeah. How does, how does Amazon treat 
the revenue? Is it usually a, obviously they, you know, there's that lump sum, but, but when they're thinking through that, if you make a sale on Amazon and you get that revenue generated, is it always a two week ruling period? Do they, do they take, let's say the, the, your sales or the net sales after fees that you generate from, let's say the first, the 15th through the month, and then pay those out on the 30th. What is the schedule that Amazon, how does that internally work in terms of how they calculate what they actually put in your bank account? Yeah. So it's always, um, well, actually I want, it's almost always two weeks. So some early sellers on the platform have different cycles and some European sellers can have this, their payments on demand so they can have shorter settlement periods. But the settlement periods are basically always all of the orders and revenue during that period while the settlement's open minus all of the fees and expenses and other charges in that period. That gets you your net total and that net total is what gets paid to you at the end of that period. So, And it's typically two weeks sort of painful things about Amazon as far as accounting goes is they don't pay any attention to month ends. So you can end up with that two-week period running, you know, 10 days of January, four days of February. And so then if you book that payment in February, it makes February look really good, right? Really profitable. And it makes January look really bad. But in actual fact, if you break the transactions out and put them in the right months when they really happened, you end up with a much more even, smooth distribution of your revenue and, and expenses. Yeah. Does Amazon, how do they do that? Do they have a, so when you make a sale, let's say I make a sale of a product on Monday, is Amazon going to credit that sale in their reporting form? I'm guessing they would credit for Monday for the actual inventory when you're trying to figure out your cost of goods sold in their reporting. Does it default to when you sell the item, when they deduct the inventory, or does it default to when the item actually ships because a lot, sometimes it's same day, a lot of times it's different days. And like you mentioned on different months, that can mess up. So how do they, especially on the inventory side, when do they? when is the default for deducting it? Um, so it, it varies a lot. There's sort of several phases through an order. So they sort of recognize an order early in the process, like when the customer places it. And then the next steps can be almost instant or quite, you know, quite quickly afterwards, or they can take sometimes days or I've even seen situations where it can take weeks. So, you know, they order places sometime later it gets confirmed, I guess the payment clears and then sometime after that it ships. And so those three things don't always happen exactly at the same time. And so deciding when to recognize an order can be slightly tricky. I think in general, when you talk to accountants, it's mostly that you choose one and you just stick with it. So, you know, if you're going to use order date, then you just use order date all the time. So with A2X, because we're everything settlement based, we're looking at the date when the order posts into the settlement, which is, I think, pretty much when it gets paid. So that period between the order getting placed and paid is normally pretty quick, but there are definitely examples where it can be days. And I think without knowing for sure what's going on in that period, I think sometimes it can be things like fraud checks on the credit card. Sometimes I guess if you place a high risk order or a credit card gets flagged as high risk, maybe the call center is going to call you and you know get you to send a photocopy of your driver's license or something. You know those kind of processes start to kick in. So yeah, the the kind of recognition of an order can vary depending on which timing you use. I think as long as you choose one and stick with it, it's going to be fine. But sort of understanding that it's not always going to be all on the exact same day is really important. Yeah, it, you mentioned stuff like fraud check fees. Some, some of the things we're talking about are really obvious, you know, like your cost of goods sold on your inventory side, your FBA fees, et cetera. What are some of the more, some of the fees or charges that if you didn't take the time to really dive into those, those, those settlement reports and break out, 
What are some of the fees that, that you wouldn't notice as much and, and you might let slip by for months or years and, and really add up going unnoticed that you wouldn't think about that aren't quite as obvious? What kind of fees have you seen in there that people that would fit that bill? So some of the ones that people often will forget about, especially in the kind of pricing models or deciding what to sell for, are like return fees. So, you know, you sell the product, you pay to ship it out. And then if the customer returns it back to FBA, you get charged a return handling fee. And so I think factoring that, you know, understanding what your return rates are for different products and then knowing that those are going to have a return handling cost and allowing for that in your pricing and your margins is, is pretty important. And I think a lot of people don't notice that happening. So that's probably one. The long-term storage fees are a, a really big number for a lot of sellers. And so, you know, having those out on a separate line item in your profit and loss statement is, is a pretty good way to make sure you're keeping an eye on it. I mean, you get the email warnings from Amazon and it's no secret that they're coming, but I think in terms of profitability, being able to see how those fees have impacted your bottom line at the end of the year is really important. There's a lot of other fees that seem to be different based on different categories. So obviously the commissions are different, but certain categories have other fees like, I don't know if you've ever seen fees called variable closing fees. I think it mainly applies to books and, and music and DVDs, but basically just like variable commission rates at the end of a once you make a sale. So yeah, there's a there's a few, depending on the different categories and things, there are a few fees that are worth keeping an eye on. I'm trying to think what other ones would be worth, you know, pulling out separately. Obviously the tax the taxes that come through the settlement and you know that's a whole separate discussion, but pulling those out and, and treating them separately in your accounting is always a, a pretty good idea as well. Yeah. So you're talking about sales tax, right? Yeah, yeah. Well in so in the US you've got sales tax. In uh, UK and Europe you've got they call VAT. And so there's varying sort of scenarios as far as Amazon and sales tax. And well, it's actually, <laughs> it's an extremely messy area of life for an Amazon seller. And I think, I think it's probably going to get a lot messier over the next few years as well, as all the states are sort of cracking down or, or getting more aware of what's going on with FBA and, and Nexus and things. Yeah. That was something I was going to ask you about. Is the tax situation in places, you know, like Australia, probably Europe, some more established because it's, it's it's been there much longer. Is the tax situation in, you know, outside the US as much of a mess as it is inside the US? Or are we unique here in the States for having totally botched the sales tax issue on Amazon? Yeah. I have to say your tax system is kind of nuts, but it really is kind of nuts. So in New Zealand, we just have one tax rate. And everybody pays, it. it's called goods and services tax. And so if you're a consumer and you go and buy, I don't know, a, I don't know, a book for $10, it's actually um, going to be extra 15%. So it's going to be $11.50. And that $11.50 gets paid by the seller to the government as GST. And that's pretty much how it works. And then the only slight difference to that is if you're a, if you're a business and you go and buy like a wheelbarrow because you need it for your business, then at the end of the year, when you're paying your GST, you get to claim back the GST that you paid, you know, for business expenses. So that's pr- like that one paragraph is pretty much the tax code. I mean, there's a few things that are different, but that's pretty much it. And so the the situation in the US is just kind of always boggles my mind. Like, I mean, we so we don't claim at all to be kind of tax advisors or when it comes to kind of tax questions, we typically say you need to talk to a, an accountant or a tax advisor or an expert at sales tax because it's so complicated. But whenever I hear about what kind of 
things sellers in the US have to deal with. It always just kind of amazes me that I guess that you're as entrepreneurial as you are over there. It's kind of an amazing, <laughs> it amazes me that despite all of that extra bureaucracy and compliance, you managed to be, you know, so entrepreneurial. I um, mean, fortunately, I'd say the Amazon tax situation is probably on the, the extreme end of the dysfunction with, with some of our tax code issues and, and regulation, thankfully. But it's, yeah, it's a mess. And and thinking through that for, for an Amazon merchant, obviously, I think you know, the biggest risk for somebody would be not breaking out the, not breaking out the sales tax collected because Amazon, correct me if I'm wrong, but Amazon will collect the sales tax for you in some cases and then submit it to you as a in, as part of that deposit. So you could potentially, if you're not paying attention, look at that, see that deposit, not realize you're collecting sales tax. And then at the end of a year period, not have accounted for that, but then realize you have the sales tax payable due that you've, you've already had, but you just haven't accounted for it or planned for it. Is that a, a situation that, it, am I thinking about that right? The way Amazon deals with that in the States? Yeah, pretty much. So you can tell Amazon what states you want to collect or charge tax in, and then they will, you know, when a buyer comes along that's trying to ship to that state, they'll figure out the right tax rate based on their city or zip code or wherever and, and charge that. And then they will pay that to you as part of your settlement. So you're right. If you're not aware of the amounts, if you're not kind of tracking them, you can end up with a situation where you might think that payment coming to you each, you know, every two weeks is your money, but actually a, you know, a decent part of it can actually be not strictly speaking your money. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's money that's been paid to you, but you've got to turn around and pay it to I don't know, the state of California or the state of Texas or wherever you've collected it for. I think that catches people out, definitely, not accounting for that properly. And then also, you know, the more recent thing of where to register, like which states you have Nexus in and should actually be charging tax in. I won't claim to have any sort of expert advice on that, but I know it's an area that seems to be, you know, I was at Prosper Show last year and listening to Michael Fleming from Peisner Johnson talking about all the various kind of edge cases around, you know, where FBA creates and doesn't create Nexus. It seems to me like a real minefield for sellers. Any other final thoughts in terms of, you know, we covered a lot of the things you should be breaking out the way Amazon does things, some of the, the problems if you're not breaking out that that lump settlement once or twice a month. Any other things Amazon sellers should really be thinking about on an accounting-wise basis that either can trip them up or a lot of people don't do that they should be doing? Uh, one thing on the tax thing, and this is new as of January this year, you will have probably seen headlines around how Amazon is now collecting Washington state sales tax for everybody whether they've registered there or not. Have you seen headlines about that? Yeah, I have, yes. Yeah, so so I think there's a sort of a, almost a misunderstanding or some misinformation that I'm hearing from sellers that because Amazon's collecting it and paying it on their behalf, they can kind of wash their hands of Washington. They don't have to worry about it anymore. And so talking to, um, I, I had a call with Peisner Johnson last week and talking to them about, our questions were more about, you know, how should sellers be accounting for these transactions? And what we got from the call was, I think, a bit of a, a shock because they there's a lot more to it than, you know, Amazon collects it, Amazon pays it, I don't need to do anything. There's actually a lot, you know, you actually still have to register and file in Washington. You have to then claim credits for the amount that Amazon paid on your behalf. There's another tax, which I had never even heard of. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of, uh, it's called B&O, Business and Occupation Tax in the state of Washington which apparently is separate to sales tax, payable on your revenues in certain situations, and Amazon's not collecting or paying that for you. So you actually need to still track your sales in Washington and pay this extra tax, potentially, 
when you file your return, the whole thing kind of just seemed actually a lot more complicated. So I think a lot of sellers are under the impression that it's actually made life easy for them because Amazon's collecting it and paying it now and they don't need to worry. But the impression I got after talking uh, with a tax expert was quite the opposite. It's actually made it possibly more complicated and certainly you need to be paying closer attention to it, not, you know, not forgetting about it or ignoring it entirely. So I would say if there's one thing that I mean, we're, we're working on some articles around this at the moment, just because I think it's a big deal. But I would say you know, if you've got considerable sales volume into Washington, it would absolutely be worth talking to an expert to make sure you're, you're you know, complying with all the required tax laws now that Amazon's doing what they're doing and, and that you're filing your returns properly. Ashley, I kind of alluded to and mentioned A2X Accounting, which is the the software that you've created to help with this. Kind of mentioned a couple of things that it does, but can you give people who aren't familiar with it an overview of of what it does and how it can help sellers avoid a lot of the mistakes that we've or potential pitfalls we've been discussing? Yep, I sure can. So our uh, kind of our pitch is A2X makes uh, Amazon accounting easy, and so what we do is every every day we automatically check your Amazon account for a new settlement as soon as a new one comes through. We import all of the transactions. We crunch all the numbers and figure out what revenue, sales, fees, expenses you had. And then we send those through your accounting system so that you can reconcile those amounts to the money when it arrives in your bank account. So that lets you make sure you got paid the right amount, make sure you account for all of the different types of transactions that you you got paid or paid to Amazon. And it lets you make sure that the transactions are being put in the right month or the right period. And that way you can compare month on month, year on year, and, and really kind of tell if your business is, is growing or you know how much more profitable or less profitable you are each month. That's what we do, basically. Yeah, very cool. So you, you can sync that with like zero, for example, pull it in and that one settlement will be broken out where all the fees, uh, you know, all the different aspects that you want to configure, you can see them line by line on the P&L to get a much better, much more transparency, but it also ties into your accounting. Exactly. Yeah. So that's... That's pretty much the two benefits that you get out of that. One is you see all of the detail, which you would otherwise miss if you're just accounting for the lump sum, but you get the benefit of tying all of those individual amounts and reconciling them back to the, the deposit that actually arrived in your bank account. So you're getting that kind of checkpoint that you, you know you got paid the right amount, you know you captured all of the, the right sales, but at the same time, you're also getting that visibility into what all those different transactions were. Yeah, and totally unrelated to Amazon sales tax, but for you also blog over at uh, aschroeder.com. And and I remember back in the day when I was on Magento, I pulled up, a, I used a lot of your articles when I was kind of learning how to be the world's worst Magento hack in terms of getting under the hood and changing. So first off, thank you for those. Those are super helpful. And also, I'd love to get your thoughts. Like you're still very involved, or at least from talking before we hopped on, somewhat involved in the Magento space. What are your thoughts? I just ended up doing a, a Magento kind of you know, state of Magento in 2008 discussion earlier this year and would love to hear your thoughts. Like, where do you see Magento right now? Do you see it kind of static uh, on the on the rise, declining? Is it getting better or worse? I w- would be curious just to hear your quick take on that. Yeah, I, I have to say I'm probably not really qualified these days to give a good kind of pulse of the community. I I still have a couple of extensions and I still kind of, you know, keep an eye on the news, but I'm not really actively involved anymore. I have some good friends that are, and it sounds like the move to Magento 2 is, you know, the community is moving there slowly, not maybe as quick as, as everybody would have liked, but they are moving. But, you know, it seems like Magento, the company, is, is doing really well. They keep signing new big clients. So, yeah, I, I, 
I don't know if I would have an opinion on whether it's going well or not. I We still run a few Magento stores, but not anywhere near like we used to. And if I was doing a new store for somebody now, I, I would think pretty hard about doing Magento. I think it's quite a complicated beast for all but the you know biggest and most advanced stores. Love to, before, before we wrap up here, do a quick lightning round with you, Ashley. So rapid fire questions, I'm going to just lobby these at you and feel free to just give me quick replies back if you're up for it. Okay, I'll try. Awesome. If you had to identify the number one thing you're trying to optimize your life for right now, what would it be? I am experimenting at the moment with getting up early and fitting in a training run before the kids wake up. So I'm trying to optimize like fitting in time for exercise before they wake up, before work starts, that kind of thing. Nice. Who's someone you strongly disagree with? Oh my gosh. I've pretty much stopped reading Twitter because I so strongly disagree with most of the US kind of Republican politics that seems to <laughs> resonate so so much there at the moment. So I would just probably say US right-wing politics is probably, I strongly disagree with most of what I see coming out of, out of there at the moment. How much money is enough? So what would be the number in your bank account where obviously you could work more if you wanted to in the future, but where you could say, you know, if you didn't, you would feel like you wouldn't have to work unless you wanted to. It would be enough money. I'm kind of a Mr. Money Mustache reader, casual reader. So I would say a freehold house and, you know, like high six or seven figures and some sort of passive income equities and investments and just keep your overheads really low. So I'm going to say kind of low seven figures is probably my number. Nice. Two million, three million? Yeah, probably in that, I think in that ballpark, you'd have, you know, as long as you keep your overheads low, that's more than enough, right? Nice. I like it. And I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. It'll it'll be a softball uh, lightning round question given Zero's based on New Zealand, but Zero or QuickBooks Online for your accounting for your e-commerce business? Yeah, I I am a little biased because of the whole home home thing. And, you know, I, we, we've been using Zero for a long time, long, long time. So I personally, and for our own business accounting, we, we use Zero. But now I've worked really closely and deeply with both platforms. There's a, a huge amount of overlap with what they can do. So it's a, you know, people ask us that all the time, actually, through A2X. And I typically say, you know, you should probably talk to your accountant and use what they're comfortable with because they're going to be the one working in there most of the time. And it's, it's better to choose what they're good at than choosing what you necessarily like the look of or something. So yeah, it, it's a tricky one, but yeah. Home team, got to go with zero for that one. Nice, nice. I figured. Worst investment you've made in the last 10 years? Worst or stupidest? (laughs) Your choice. Your choice. So my wife and I got married in Las Vegas. And then you could call this an investment or a waste of money, but we brought a Corvette and we did a big road trip around the kind of southwestern part of the US. And then we put the car in a container and we shipped it back to New Zealand and we still have it today. And so... Every day I look out the window and I'm like, that was the stupidest thing. Why did we do that? We can't, we, now we have kids and it has no back seats. So it's more like an art piece really. So that was probably the stupidest thing that we wasted money on when we were kind of young and, and, and uh, foolish. That's a great story. I'll, help, I'll let you help, I'll hopefully help you redeem yourself here. What's the best investment outside of your business that you've made in the last 10 years? I would probably have to say, so I invested in a few of the kind of New Zealand software companies like Zero and Pushpay and, and funnily enough, Winyard. Um, so a few of those and a, a couple of them have done really well over time. Somewhat ironically, one of them, Winyard, has actually gone under entirely. So it kind of cancels out some of the benefit. But yeah, some, some of the New Zealand tech companies have done very well. And then finally, what was the first CD you ever owned? 
it would be, and I'm kind of a little embarrassed by this, but it must have. Oh, that, that's, why, that's why I asked the question <laughs> because most, pe- most people are pretty embarrassed. <laughs> I think it was Celebrity Skin by Hole in probably the late 90s. And kind of, I was like a teenager and yeah, Celebrity Skin by Hole, I think was it. Or maybe if not that, it would have been an album around the same time by Placebo called, I think it was called Without You, I'm Nothing. It was the one with the Every You and Every Me song on it. So I was kind of into that. I guess it would have been like that mid to late 90s grungy alternative thing in my in my early teenage years. So I've, embarrassingly, that's what I ended up getting, I think. I love it. Ashley, well, hey, hey man, I appreciate you coming on and talk about this stuff. If you've been listening, of course, his website and his SaaS company that helps helps really make the streamlining, that helps streamline the process of Amazon accounting for your e-commerce store, a2xaccounting.com. That's a2, the number two, xaccounting.com. He also runs a kind of a, a business to help people in Australia, New Zealand, and other countries export their goods abroad to larger markets. That's export-x.com. And if you want to uh, geek out on his Magento articles like I did and other kind of thoughts on web development, aschroeder.com. We'll link up to all those in the show notes. Ashley, so good connecting with you. And thanks so much for for talking talking shop with me here. Awesome. Thanks for having me on the show, Andrew. It's been, uh, it's been awesome to chat. That's going to do it for this week's episode. But if you enjoyed what you heard and are interested in getting plugged into a dynamic community of experienced store owners, check us out at ecommercefuel.com. Ecommerce Fuel is the private vetted community for e-commerce entrepreneurs. And what makes us different is that we really heavily vet everyone that is a member to make sure that they're a great fit, that they can add value to a broader community. Everyone that joins has to be doing at least a quarter million dollars in sales via their store. And our average member does over seven figures in sales annually. So if you'd like to learn more, if that sounds interesting, you can learn more and apply for membership at ecommercefuel.com. And also have to thank our two sponsors that make the show possible, Liquid Web. If you are on WooCommerce or you're thinking about getting onto WooCommerce, Liquid Web is who you should have host your store, particularly with their managed WooCommerce hosting. It's highly elastic and scalable. It's got built-in tools to performance test your store so you can be confident it's going to work well. And it's built from the ground up for WooCommerce. And you can learn more about their offering at ecommercefuel.com forward slash liquid web. And finally, Clavio for email marketing, they make email segmentation easy and powerful. They integrate with just about every card out there and help you build incredibly automated, powerful segments that make you money on autopilot. You can check them out and get started for free at clavio.com. Thanks so much for listening and looking forward to seeing you again next Friday. Want to connect with and learn from other proven e-commerce entrepreneurs? Join us in the e-commerce fuel private community. It's our tight knit vetted group for store owners with at least a quarter million dollars in annual sales. You can learn more and apply for membership at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again next time.